mindfulness mode. The conscious mind is, is underutilized because, because we don't rely on our imaginative powers. Mindful Tribe, welcome to the show. So good to have you here. Have you ever had trouble sleeping? Is that an issue in your life? Maybe you don't sleep soundly enough or maybe you have trouble falling asleep. Stay tuned, listen to the very end of the episode and I have something to help you with that sleep issue. Reach new heights of calm, focus and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I have with me today a shaman. And I'm just going to read a a very short quote from his book. He says, The shaman trusts in the goodness and rightness of life by seeing it as a creation born of benevolence, inevitability, and a spark of love contained within each of us. Now, today we're talking about Huna wisdom to change your life. And we're going to be talking about magic. And traditionally, magic was a commonplace assumption on the islands of Hawaii. And from a Huna perspective, magic is our birthright. Isn't that exciting? And I'm here with Jonathan Hammond, the author of this fantastic book. And the book, oh man, I can't even tell you enough about the book. It's, it's called The Shaman's Mind, Huna Wisdom to Change Your Life. And it's, it's truly a wonderful read. So get your hands on this book. So Jonathan, what is going on? I want to know, first of all, are you in mindfulness mode? And I know I don't even need to ask that question, but I'm going to ask it because I always do. So, I, I, I always try to be. I always try to be. I, I find that more often than not, people are not paying attention to what's happening. And, uh, and the, the, the crux of this wisdom, of the Huna wisdom, is that what we pay attention to is not just about what we're paying attention to, but that we're eliciting energies, creative energies, based on where we place our focus and attention that uh, are in a process of becoming matter. So it's very important that we are mindful, in mindfulness modes, we're paying attention to what we're paying attention to because what, whatever that is, it, it is, is uh, be creating itself. Well, it, it truly is. And I want you to just tell us a little bit more about what mindfulness means to you because uh, you know I know you've already kind of told us a bit, but tell us a little bit more about that. Well, uh, as a uh, as a healing practitioner, I would say that if if uh, if you were to ask me what's the overarching thing that you see, uh, the commonality in every client that I see and everyone that that's seeking healing, and it's that they don't feel their feelings, that they are not actually in rapport with what's happening in them, and in so many ways we're socialized away from being within ourselves, with being in the moment with ourselves, because. What might be happening in the moment may be an inconvenience to others, or we may not like what that is, or, or it may be uh, something that's uncomfortable for us. And so we're used to pulling out of our bodies and out of our experience. And when we do that, we, we turn against the, the parts of ourselves of which we should have the most intimate rapport, because it's only by uh, addressing uh, what is actually happening that provides us with the freedom to change it. Without the acknowledgement and the acceptance of whatever is happening in us, we can't heal it. And so often uh, I, I, I see with people and I see with students that this pulling away from themselves in, in the face of being for the other, assimilating with the other, 
which keeps us away from our own experience. And, when, and like I said, when we do that, we actually lose our path because our path from a shamanic perspective runs through our body, runs through our feelings, through our emotions. And if we just listen to the way in which we are wired to connect with nature, we find our path, but we have to pay attention in order to do that. Now, I want to ask you this, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I, I have the feeling that we are more inclined in North America to, to do that, to push our feelings away, to not notice our emotions. I'm from Canada, but I feel like it's more of a North American thing and not as much something that happens in some of the other countries in the world. What do you think? Yeah, I think that everyone is, not everyone, so many people are living lives that they that they see on television as a way to be. We're taught on, on television or in the media how we're supposed to look, what our money is, what men are, what women are, what uh, minorities are. And, um, uh, and if we're keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak, if we are assimilating, that's the goal. And to live a spiritual life is to live, live a singular life where we are following our own inner directives. You know, so often with clients, I'll say to them, and I can see them when I say it, that they, they become bathed in relief when I say, you know, what if you're a little weird? And I can see them just go to this place of, oh, I am a little weird. It makes so much more sense if I'm a little weird and I don't have to be like everyone else. And so, so it's, uh, it is very much uh, indoctrinated into the culture, you know, uh, um, to, to, uh, to assimilate and to not follow our own inner directives. And when you think about the spiritual life, it is your inner directives and it is invisible wisdom, invisible sources that we are, that we are tuning into, it, each of us individually. And we each can have direct revelation with those sources and with that wisdom. But as long as we're assimilating and worrying too much what everyone else thinks, it pulls us away from ourselves. Well, something about your book definitely pulled me in and it was just magical. And one of the things that you that you shared that I really got this was that if you if you buy into Huna wisdom, then you believe that you have to look after yourself and you need to be looking for what makes you happy and content and joyous and celebrating life. Isn't that a, a major theme that you that you carried throughout that book? It's the theme. In fact, the, the first principle of Huna says the world is what you think it is. So what that means is not just that your experience of the world will be based on how you think about it, but that the world itself, that reality itself, will create itself based on how you think about it. So this puts all co-creative power between your ears, because essentially what we are thinking and believing and what we, and what we are focusing on with consistency uh, are reflected back by our outside world. And so it's so it's so important to be aware of that that we really do with everything that happens to us, our fingerprints are on some way. It doesn't mean we've always done something on purpose because sometimes our beliefs are unconscious, but on some in some way our fingerprints are on everything that happens to us. Everything that happens to us, we have a degree of complicity with. And to see even the difficult things in our lives as something that we in part created is actually to harness power and to harness choice. And so often this gets misconstrued with punishment or, or uh, you know, I created this hardship for myself and I have to feel badly about myself. And it's not that at all. It's about that with the awareness of your own complicit, complicity with creating your life, you then sit in all the co-creative juices that we each have 
to create our lives the way we want to. And so Huna is about 100% responsibility. And I talk about it a lot in the book because your life is based on what's going on within you. It definitely is. I want to go back to that experience that you had in Hawaii a long time ago and that volcano and the energy. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, I, I had been a shamanic practitioner for, for many years, and Hawaii was just a place that I had found that I loved, but it didn't have, and, and it was beautiful, and I connected to the nature, but I, to my mind, shamanism lived in South America and, and uh, with the Native Americans, and I'd had some ayahuasca experiences, and so so I wasn't really looking to uh, to Hawaii for, for um, shamanic guidance. And uh, I was on the Haleakala volcano, which is the dormant volcano in Maui, and doing doing a hike. And I stopped at a certain place, and and it was at a time in my life where I was needing to shift and become a full time healer and teacher. And I was scared of that. I was scared of making that change. It was it would it, it's a change, as I'm sure some of your your listeners find themselves in where I'm going to do this counterintuitive thing that doesn't make sense to my friends and family, but something in me is it wants to do it. And anyway, in that moment, um, I, I received a visitation. That's the only way I can describe it. And I describe it in the book where a force just so much bigger than me came in and it was almost like a freight train. And I was, I was sitting on a lava rock and I found I could no longer sit up and, and I, had a, a kind of life review. That's the only way I can describe it. And um, and this experience lasted about a half hour and I was surrounded in clouds, but there was something else happening. And I can only say that I was in union with the one. I was in union with the, the divine. And it wasn't something I asked for. It was something that just came to me. And after that experience was over, on the way walking back up the, uh, uh, up the uh, volcano, um, I... I realized that these are the changes that I need to take, make in my life. And these were the things that I had to let go of and that I needed to become a, a, a full-time healer and a full-time uh, uh, teacher. And, and so that very much happened to me. And just to say, I'm not special. This, this communication is available to all of us if we open to it whenever we are in nature. So because the world is what you think it is, that means that everything, from a shamanic perspective, is alive and conscious and responsive to our thoughts, everything. And if you walk through a forest or the a volcano in Maui with the idea that I am in an animistic relationship with the environment, that environment will start speaking to you as well. Well, I'm glad you said that. When I read the book, it just felt so easy to grasp and it just felt like you were speaking directly to me and you know i'm not a harvard grad <laughs> you are but you don't write like as though you're up here and i'm down here you yeah. write in such a way that it just made me feel like yes yes this is very much reachable and very understandable now i'm going to jump to the end because all through the book, you're leading up to this wonderful end where you're talking about Ho'oponopono. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was like, oh, we're, you know, you kept giving us bits, you know, leading up to this. And then suddenly we're there when we get to the end of the book. So let's talk about that. I know that you've been teaching it for years. You taught it at the very beginning of your teaching time. And... It just seemed to come naturally to you. You said you saw a video and you you just 
picked up the ideas and you started teaching it. Well, tell us the story from your perspective. Well, Ho'oponopono is a, is a healing practice, but it's really a, a, a way of life in which you uh, exist in relationship with the divine. And there are parts of us that uh, we learn early in our life, usually in childhood, that are any that feel like anything other than our divine selves. This is the part of us that where we learn that we're unlovable or that we don't look right or that we don't fit in the world or that um, money doesn't come to us or that love doesn't come to us. And these are these are um, habituated patterns that we learn based on how we're treated and what we experience in our early life. And without uh, attention on them, without recognizing them and giving them a different narrative so they can become something else, these habituated patterns remain. And that, uh, that seed of unlovableness will be underneath your, your whole life until it's addressed. And so the ho'oponopono, which means to make right, but, uh, and the word pono means right, uh, but it's doubled. So it means to make right more right, to make right, uh, to make uh, uh, things doubly right, right with ourselves, right with God. And so what we're doing in the practice is that we're extending love and attention to these parts of ourselves that were born because they didn't receive love and attention. That's, that's how we get stuck with these imprints. And as we extend that love, that love to ourselves, we become in alignment with the big love, with the divine love. And when, when mind, body, which holds the memories, and spirit come together in congruency, uh, then we we uh, we step into our true belonging. We step into the direct revelation of ourselves as divine beings. And so the process of Ho'oponopono is addressing that which uh, obscures our divinity and sending it love so that it can release that obscuration so that we can come into alignment um, uh, uh, with the divine. And then in that alignment, the divine showers us showers us because we create a vessel down here that is in alignment with it with uh, of love that is in alignment with the with the love from the divine and there are those four aspects i love you i'm sorry please forgive me and thank you and i'm from canada so i should be very comfortable saying i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry that's what we're supposed to be known for right especially yeah. in the u.s but when i when i see that second aspect i'm sorry it makes me feel like, oh, does that mean I'm a victim? I'm sorry, no. like that. And I know yeah. it doesn't, but can you explain that? I can. And you know, so those are the four phrases. It's kind of like a mantra. Um, and I explain in the book kind of what you're saying and who you're saying it to. But let's talk about I'm sorry, because it goes along with mindfulness. I'm sorry is saying to this part of us that feels hurt, that feels embarrassed, that feels shameful. I'm sorry. And what, what the I'm sorry is about, I see you. I see this problem as it is. I see this problem as it was created. And I'm, I'm not going to whitewash this. I'm not going to turn it into anything. There is a part of you that doesn't like yourself, that's, a, that's afraid about how you look, that's afraid that you don't fit in this world. And I am so sorry about it because, again, it is, and this is the basis of, of mindfulness, it is in the acknowledgement of the problem that grants us the freedom to change it. So I'm sorry is the acknowledgement, and please forgive me, is the part of us, it, it, what we're forgiving is the part of us that let this go, the part of us that let us believe this about ourselves, the part of us that, that uh, let someone else's mistreatment uh, uh, turn that into 
something about fundamentally about ourselves. That so that's the difference between I'm sorry and please forgive me. Please forgive me is about I I um, I acted in ways that perpetuated this misbelief about myself. But the I'm sorry is I see it as it is. Now you start the book, Jonathan, talking about. Hawaii and your journey and how you became embraced in in all of this work that you do. Uh, one of the things that you seem very comfortable in is being a gay man. And I wanted to ask you about that and if you have had struggles with it and how you dealt with some of those struggles. Because in the book, it just it just comes across that you've been quite comfortable with it and moved forward and so on. Well, I'm I'm I am lucky in that my my background is theater, so um, so it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge surprise that 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 was there. And and early on, I did have I, I did have uh, other mentors uh, that were LGBT. Um, but let me say this, uh, you know, I do talk about it, but I talk about it in passing, because yeah. the the whole point of shamanism is in shamanism we revere nature, we revere the natural world. That is, that's the whole purpose. We are, and, and the natural world is what it is. And, uh, and so the parts of us that just are what they are need no editorialization, need no excuses, need none of that. And so even in the book, I talk about my husband, Dominic, and that's the extent of it because it's just not even of interest. Because because that is a natural part of the self, and and so it um, and so it's so important to acknowledge that. But we have so many bigger fish to fry. Not to say that 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 um, homophobia and all kinds of isms don't exist, but we have so many other things to to worry about. And I think that for the people who are going to uh, take exception with that, which is something that is a natural part of the self. It's just not even a conversation I'm interested in having because it's not a because we're now speaking about um, uh, standing in the rain and wondering why you're wet. We're talking about standing by a, a, an ocean and telling the waves to stop coming in. We're telling we're, we're talking about the expectation that a tree should somehow look differently than it does. It just it, it, it doesn't have anything to do with anything. And so uh, and so from from that perspective. Uh, it's just it's just not something that that I address in any more in in any other way but but passing. And just to say this too, in many most shamanic cultures, if the child was considered lesbian, gay, bisexual, or trans, they were immediately put on the shamanic path because the idea about uh, the idea and it's called uh, two spirited. And the idea behind that is that that these people can live in both polarities in the masculine and the feminine. And so in that way, there is a sense of that this is a person who's more of a consciousness holder rather than someone who is uh, supposed to be the warrior, supposed to be the farmer, supposed to be the mother. There's a sense that they are peripheralized from society. And that, from a shamanic perspective, is by design because that's what their nature dictates that they are. And we see this even even today. There are so many uh, LGBT uh, uh, priests and clergy and healers and and um, innovators, culture makers, um, and and that's all part of it. Well, I'm fascinated. I'm really glad that you addressed that. Now, let's talk about the seven principles of Huna, which you've outlined very clearly in your book. And uh, the first one, the world 
is what you think it is. You've already alluded to yeah. that. The world is what you think it is. Uh, tell us about more of that. Yeah. So if you think of if you think of reality as sort of a blank canvas, and onto that reality you project what you're thinking, your thoughts, your beliefs, your intentions. That that blank canvas of reality subtly shifts based on your thoughts. So even what's going on on the planet right now is that that reality, because so many people's uh, thoughts, beliefs, and intentions have been toward hatred, uh, hatred, separation, greed, fear, uh, um, that that reality that that uh, shifts based on our thoughts has literally become sick, and that's what we're experiencing now. And um, and it goes it goes to the next principle, which says that there are no limits, which means that it is a non-separate universe. There's only one great thing happening of which we are each an inextricable part. And if our thoughts create reality, then that means that we actually are co-creating reality, not just for ourselves, but for the all. And that's the second principle of Huna, which says that there are no limits. It's a, lim a limitless universe. Separation is only an illusion from, from this perspective. The third principle says energy flows where attention goes. So that means that where we put our focus and attention elicit the creative energies to bring to us and to create the nearest physical equivalent of whatever we put our focus and attention on. So this means that we live in a symbiotic universe that will respond to our thoughts, respond to our focus and attention with the creative energy to bring about whatever it is that we're focusing and intending. So again, you can see it's so about getting inside yourself because you have the power to really change everything just with, with even a mere thought. Uh, the, the fourth principle, which is perfect for this show, now is the moment of power. And uh, from a Huna perspective, what we mean by this is, of course, all the things we know from mindfulness, but that in the now is the only place where we can access power, because now is the only place where we can do something. And uh, so the past is gone, dead and buried. The future is not yet born. And it's only in the now that we can actually uh, uh, access power, because it's the only place where, where we can actually take action. And in the Hawaiian language, they don't have past or future tenses. So everything in that language relates to the now. So a sentence like, I went to the store yesterday to buy milk, is translated in Hawaiian as, my having gone to the store yesterday to buy milk is now over. And yeah, that I, is or, so cool. That is yeah. really cool. When I or, that, I or yeah. uh, right, right. Or, or, you know, next week I'm going snorkeling. My having going snorkeling next week hasn't happened yet. Right. So everything relates to the now. And now is the only place where we can access power. Uh, the fifth principle is aloha, which, which you've certainly heard uh, uh, before, even if you haven't been to Hawaii. And that simply means that, that what we're looking for, the litmus test to decide what we're thinking about, what we're creating, is love, love's presence, the presence of happiness. And, and so love is considered in, in this philosophy an ethic. It is a means to evaluate what it is that we are to do. And if love is not present in an action, then that's an indication that we're out of alignment with these principles. And these principles, by the way, are um, universally shamanic. 
There, there isn't a, a shaman worldwide, even if they have no context with Hawaii, who would not understand that they create their reality with their thoughts, that it's a limitless universe, that energy flows where attention goes, that now is the only place where you can do something, and that love's perspective better be present. The, the next principle is mana, which means uh, all power comes from within. And this is big because this is saying that nothing has authority over you. Even the things in your life that seem to have authority over you only have authority insofar as the authority in you grants them to have. So this really puts, puts the choice, the choice about uh, your own singular existence that we talked about earlier uh, on you. And because, because there's only one thing happening in this infinitely powerful universe, that powerful infinitude converges at you. And that's what that principle is getting at, that all the power is within you and all the power is within you. And we all get to have all of it. It's a really big idea. It's and a huge the, idea. Yeah. yeah. And it's so important. I, I really believe in that. So beautiful. And uh, the last principle is, uh, I, I love this one. Um, it, it's uh, uh, effectiveness is the measure of truth. Pono. If, so if it works, it's true. And if it doesn't work, it's not true. And this points toward that the only universal truth is that everything is. Other than that, everything else is just something that someone made up. But, but uh, truth is only singular and what's true for you and what works for you. See, what I love about this philosophy is it says that it's not the way. It's just pointing toward there are a whole bunch of ways. And to find the one that works for you and also to say what works for you is something that's creating happiness, that's creating what you want, that where love's perspective is there, where there's an acknowledgement of non-separation. All of those are aspects of, 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 of something actually being effective. So you can become rich by stealing from others or making yourself ill by working too hard, but you're not actually being effective doing those things. And this principle, this last principle is about that what works is what's what's effective or what's works is what's true. Highly subjective. That. Yeah. Jonathan, you have a retreat company called The Living Project, and you do retreats in Costa Rica, Bali, Nicaragua, Peru, Mexico. Tell me what it's like to go on a retreat with you. What are some of the experiences? How long does it take? Sure. Well, we, we haven't done them in a while because of COVID-19, but, uh, but uh, they'll, they'll start up again. Uh, yeah, so the, the retreats are, um, are uh, you know, a week or 10 days, depending on where we are where the participants are really just focusing on themselves. So they, I, I teach mindfulness in the morning, and then there's a yoga class, and then they have their day, and it's usually in some beautiful place. The, the, the next ones will all be in Hawaii, because it's just based on the book. Um, and, um, and then at night, there is a shamanic circle, and which is, can be a whole series of practices, many of the practices in the, it, practices in the book that we'll do. And, and you know, the purpose is really to, to, um, to go inward. And, and there's a real encouragement in these beautiful places that are these, you know, miraculous natural environments to connect. You know, nature, nature from a shamanic perspective, maybe from any perspective, is the greatest healer. Nature shows us 
of um, everything that we need to know about ourselves. Nature is in a constant state of evolution and growth. Nature never says no to itself. Nature doesn't have low self-esteem. Nature wants what it wants. And the more that we align with and emulate nature, which is, which is the crux of shamanism, the more we uh, claim ourselves as part of the natural world. And what remains unnatural in us are the ways in which we close down on ourselves because nature doesn't do that. Right. But they're fun. They're fun. You know, I bet they're fun. Yeah. Uh, about how many people would go on a retreat? It depends. Uh, um, I think the most we've had is uh, 20. The most we've had is 20. I think the least we've had is uh, 12. Maybe one time we had, we had 25, but well, you know, we try to keep them. They're very individual. You have sessions with me, you know, so they're, um, uh, they're highly individualized. So it's not, it's not something that we want where we do a big experience. I, I teach classes at the Omega Institute and other places which are, and then certainly online, which are bigger venues, but those are more um, uh, uh, focused. Well, Jonathan, you completed four years of training at the One Spirit Learning Alliance in New York City, and now you're on the faculty there. Is that is that what you do most of the time? Is that your full-time work? No, I mean, I, I am on faculty there and I teach classes there. I teach uh, uh, interspiritual counseling and shamanism and energy healing there. It's a wonderful organization. It's, um, uh, I went to uh, Interfaith seminary, seminary there a couple of years ago, and that is available not just in New York City, but it's an online program, and I, I, I highly recommend it. Um, no, my, my main, my main um, practice, I have, I have a healing practice. I have a private practice of... It was just in New York City. Now it's very much online, given what's going on in the world. Um, and so, you know, I work with I work with clients um, weekly, bi-monthly. Um, uh, sometimes people just come for one healing. Uh, it depends, but I'm very, very full with that. And that's um, uh, and so, if anyone wants to reach out for uh, you know to work with me in that way, you can find me on my website, JonathanHammond.com. Right, Jonathan Hammond. Yes, JonathanHammond.com, and it's J O N A T H A. N and H A M M O N D. JonathanHammond.com. Yeah. So check it out because, uh, yeah, I know that you do a lot of work with people. Now, in the book, you also talk about the three selves. Yeah. And I found that fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it's fascinating about the Hawaiians, uh, and and the, the uh, and the more that I delve into this material, the more I just think, uh, did they know everything about everything? You know, you've heard of the id, the ego, and the superego from Freud, the conscious mind, the unconscious mind, the superconscious mind from Jung, and the, this conception of three aspects of of, of consciousness has been uh, in every uh, in every indigenous culture and it's specifically talked about in the um, uh, in the Huna philosophy so essentially there's the conscious mind which is the one that got us to this call today the unconscious body mind so that's the part of us that controls our body all the natural things that are happening in the body but that also holds the memories also holds those de detrimental imprints that I was talking about earlier uh, and then the the superconscious mind or, or the higher self, which is the part of us that's con connected to di divinity, sort of the the intermediary between us and and the big divine. And so the idea in in uh, in the work is to get the conscious mind to address the any issues in the unconscious mind, uh, in order to align with inspiration or aspiration, which is the higher self. So now we're back to Ho'oponopono. So, so those are the three selves. And ultimately, believe it or not, 
We want the conscious mind in charge. The, uh, there, we'll, we'll get influence from our body and from, and from source, but the conscious mind is the one because the conscious mind is connected to the imagination. And if we're connected to the imagination, that means that we have the power to imagine who we want to be and what we want to create. So even when clients come to me and, you know, for a healing, my job as a shamanic practitioner, practitioner is to imagine them well, to use the powers of my imagination, to imagine them at the height of their power, at the height of their, um, uh, of, of their expansiveness. And so it's the conscious mind and our ability, uh, ability to imagine that is the, the most powerful tool that we have and to harness it. And I find so often with, with people, um, the conscious mind is, is underutilized because, because we don't rely on our imaginative powers. And again, going back to the principles, what we think on, what we focus on, that is creating reality. And so we can, and, and, and even the reason why I've, I've landed on Hawaii is because to even go to Hawaii is to stand there and you have to, um, open your imagination to even fathom where you are. And so there's a sense about that place that it speaks to all of our aspiration, all of what we could become. Jonathan, you've been initiated through the Minoan Fellowship in Wicca. What does that mean? Can you share with us? Uh, sure. I, I, Wicca is, um, uh, Wicca is uh, shamanism with a British accent. You know, European shaman. It, it really is. It's, it's, it's an earth-based um uh, an, uh, an earth-based, uh, I guess, religion now. Um, and that was, uh, you know, I have, I have a mentor and uh, originally my path was Buddhism uh, and the Dzogchen teachings. That was the beginning of something. Then, then it was more like now that I'm aware, I moved into using the power of the mind and that, that, was, um, uh, that was the beginning of, of uh, my Wiccan practice. And Wicca just meaning, Wicca is about magic. Magic is just simply using the natural forces of our mind, our emotions, and our, uh, our inner vision to make things happen, you know, to, to, to create things. That's, that's what magic is, it's not that deep. And, uh, and that led me then to I think just because of my love of nature, shamanism, which is where I, which is where I've uh, uh, sort of landed. But they're all very, very, very related. And I would even go as far as to say that even the, um, you know, the Buddhist teachings, those are those are shamanic lineages. Those are uh, those are that's wisdom from indigenous peoples. It's just how it's just how their spiritual uh, technology uh, uh, has manifested itself. But they're all very, very related. Yeah. And so you you run a monthly shamanic gathering now. Is that for other shamans? No, that's for everyone. That's uh, that's for you know. See the thing about this material and the reason why I wrote the book is that this is practical stuff. This is you know people get ooh shaman like it's some you know, and, and this is really about living successfully, living effectively. You know, knowing knowing that that your mind has co-creative power, knowing that energy follows thought, knowing that you got to be in the now, knowing that love's got to be present. These are all things that are that are uh, are things that we all need, and so that monthly circle is um, is is for the community, and uh, whoever that community is right now, it's it's been online since the, uh, the beginning of COVID nineteen, which has been wonderful. We've actually uh, gotten a lot more people and people from different countries and and that sort of thing, and we'll do journeys. We'll do journeys. We'll. Uh, um, uh, you know, I'll do lectures. We'll do meditations. They'll be sharing. Uh, but it, you know, it's a way in which we can all practice uh, uh, practice this material. So the difference between 
uh, in shamanism, we would do a shamanic journey. In, in, in uh, uh, Buddhist meditation, you'd be doing mindfulness practice or loving kindness practice or any of the, the, um, uh, the focused meditations. But in, in shamanic practice, it's the shamanic journey, which, of course, you have to be present for. But then you elicit the powers of your imagination and your own kind of psychic sight to enter into these hidden realms, which are right there. They're right there, right around us all the time. Uh, and we did we did this as children so often, and so uh, and so th- those are the kind of things that we do in the shamanic circle. Yeah. And what were you like as a child, Jonathan? What were you like as like a seven year old child? What was what was Jonathan like? Uh, a, lo- a lot of play acting, a lot of imitating others. You know, my my parents thought uh, you know because I I was uh, um, you know I was theatrical, so my parents thought actor. But I now know, having having left that life, because I was a professional actor for many years, that you know what I, what I was really tuned into. If you think about acting, what is it? You learn the lines, you learn the blocking, then you hope that inspiration comes through, and that's really channeling. And that was always that was always what I was trying to do to give up myself so that something else could come through. And what I found in my acting life was that I just couldn't do that enough. I couldn't make enough money money at it, frankly, and uh, and it, there were too many limitations. And I was guided in another way, but but um, but all of that all of that skill set and all of those um, uh, imaginative, uh, you know, my my Hawaiian teacher Serge King, he says that the shamans were the first actors, because in some ways they're the ones that are imagining these different ways of being. In, in and in, as opposed to the imagination just being something that isn't real from a shamanic perspective the imaginal realms are real realms so when a shaman says they're going on a journey they're actually going somewhere that's actually real uh, and you know if you think of consensus reality being one small piece of an apple pie shamanic reality is the entire rest of the pie there's so much that doesn't meet the eye and it's in those in those um, other realities that that the shaman visits to uh, to uh, retrieve lost power, to commune with the spirits, to uh, receive wisdom and information, to receive healing. And th- those are all things that you can learn how to do on the shamanic path. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I want to ask you about bullying. I've worked in this field for some time. Have you a story about maybe you were bullied or maybe you were a bully or do you have a story where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yeah. I think that I don't have so much a story, but I, I see it a lot, a lot with clients. There, there is a sense of, um, you know, underneath bullying, the, the result of bullying is always shame. It's always a sense of you, you, you feel a sense of um, that there is something about me that is just not okay, and um, and there is a process that one goes through when they even if you think about the nature of a curse, a curse is simply that someone mistreats you and you hold on to the mistreatment and you form an identity around it. And the removal of the curse is simply the removal of the identification with, with the negativity or with the bullying. And so it's so important that when we are mistreated as children, that we learn, that we learn or we, that we teach children that this happened to you, but this isn't you. And you need not identify with the, anything that happens to you. It's just what's happening. 
You know, I, I, um, I, I remember a, uh, doing a, a meditation retreat with Thomas Chodron and someone, she had just led a meditation and then someone, she said, does anyone have any comments? And this man just went on and on and on and talked about this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this blah, blah, blah. And then, um, and then she just looked at him and she said, well, that's what was happening. And like, you know, as, as if it, don't even attach to that. It's not important. It's not interesting. And, and so often, um, you know, bullying is about the identification with the behavior, with how one's being treated. And it's just what happened. And even to say this too, one of the practices in the book, because now is the moment of power, is to actually go back and look at those things, either that you did or that others did, and see that they that even though their actions or your actions were skillful or embarrassing or shameful, you were actually trying to do something. You were trying to meet a need. You were trying to alleviate some pain. You were trying to get to some sort of understanding. And even in the worst things that we've ever done, if we look at them compassionately, we were actually trying to do something. And to reframe that in the now as a search for a, a deeper truth, even if it's something really unskillful, like an addictive behavior or like a, um, or even violence on some level, that's the best that we could do at the time. And so much of, of healing work is about getting congruent with present time, getting up to date with yourself and seeing those things for what they for what they are. So, so often people are so uh, mired in, I should have known what I didn't know. Well, no, that's not true. How, you can't know what you don't know. And you couldn't know back then. So stop it. And that, is, and that puts you up to date. And it's so important that we do that. So that's my long-winded answer about uh, at least how to get rid of uh, the, the identification with, with bullying. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, Jonathan. As we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. Mm -hmm. So just 30 second answers yep. are perfect. Yep. The first one is this, who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence for you? Lama Surya Das, Awakening the Buddha Within. And I was, I was, I finished that book. I was in Harvard Square and I finished it. And I said, I have to meet Lama Surya Das. And I got to the, the back page and, and it said, he's two blocks away. He's right there. And I walked up, it was the weirdest thing. And I walked over and I saw the sign and, uh, and uh, uh, studied mindfulness or, uh, or social meditation with him. Wow, that's a great story. Yeah. Wow, wow. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? paying attention to my feelings, befriending myself, befriending yourself. That's the purpose. The purpose of mindfulness is not a Zen floating away, floating away on a cloud of ice cream. The purpose of mindfulness is to befriend what's happening in you so you can do something about it. I like that. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. The breath is, um, is a paradigm for everything. Uh, the breath is, even the, the Hawaiians talk about that when the sun rises in the east, its heat causes the earth to exhale. And that, that, that exhale is called transpiration, where the earth releases, releases its breath, which then begins the cycles of life. So you can think about breath in terms of, um, um, you know, we're always, we're living and dying in every moment. That means we're starting over in every moment. That means there's death and rebirth in every moment. And that's what the breath signifies to me. Your book, The Shaman's Mind, is fantastic. I highly recommend it. Are there any other books that you would recommend that are related to mindfulness? Re related to mindfulness? Yes. Uh, I, I, I love Tara Brock. I love, uh, love Tara Brock's work. Um, 
that that uh, that's a very uh, what's it called um, radical acceptance. That's yes. that's a that's a book that I that I give a lot of um, uh, new clients who come to me. Um, but th- that's that's a wonderful one. I just think what I like about Tara Brock is that she's not just uh, a mindfulness te- teacher. She feels like a healer to me. You know, she she really feels like like how to take these practices into healing. So I love Tara. Yeah. Are there any apps you would recommend that are related to mindfulness? You know, apps I don't do. Um, uh, the uh, the only thing I you know I would say I'm I'm you know I'm a big proponent of uh, Mind Valley Academy. I'm a big pro- propon- proponent of Sounds True. You know I, I I'm a I, I'm a frequent flyer mire with uh, with Sounds True. Uh, uh, you know over the years I've gotten a lot of their programs. There's a there's a lot of material out there and and it's so wonderful to I find to listen to the teachers rather than rather than just read their books. And so I do, I do encourage. Um, uh, uh, people, people to look if if there's if there's uh, a teacher that they're resonating with, listen to what they have to say because that, a lot of times that's even more helpful than 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 what they're writing. Jonathan, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show and to talk to you directly about the book and and Mindful Tribe. Really, I I, I really recommend you get this book and and read it. Um, Jonathan, what are you working on now? Have you got a new project? I'm sitting still for a little bit. I, you know, I've, I've been doing a lot of book promotion because the book just came out in July. Uh, a lot of interviews and that sort of thing. I, I am doing some articles. I just wrote an article on, on uh, I believe it or not, on the Hula, uh, which uh, um, uh, uh, that'll be out in, in, I don't know exactly where yet. Uh, and, uh, and I'm thinking about my next book. I don't think it's going to be Hawaii-centric. I think it's going to be about, um, uh, or even necessarily shamanism. I think it's going to be about Total masculine feminine polarities, the polarities between the sexes and um, and working with even sacred sexuality. I think that that's um, that's something that uh, is of interest to me. And also how to utilize these principles in counseling as as therapeutic tools. So those are the two uh, the two uh, projects that are that are swimming around in there. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, with that, I'll say Thank you again. Have a great rest of your day and all the best to you, Jonathan. Aloha. Mahalo. Thank you. Aloha. Thanks for tuning into today's episode, Mindful Tribe. And at the beginning of the show, I mentioned that I have something to help with your sleep. Maybe you're having trouble falling asleep. Maybe you're having trouble because you keep waking up. Well, I have a a sleep meditation that I've recorded for you, and it'll help you enjoy a deep, easy natural sleep where you'll drift off to sleep with a calm gentle voice that's mine so you can rest comfortably without as much effort so just go to mindfulnessmode.com forward slash sleep and that's a free download just for you mindful tribe so take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm focus and happiness stay in the mode